very good. Yes, it is I, your humble host, Bill Head the third, coming to you live from the palatial studios of Bald Spot Productions here in the beautiful city of Irvine, California. Joining me over a more than acceptable safe social distance are my guests for this evening, motivational speaker and author Steve Boris and musician, composer, writer, Darren Gordon-Smith. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you for having us. No problem. It's uh, it's definitely my pleasure. I've been excited about this one uh, for a while now. Um, you know, of course, uh, Steve, you and I are connected on uh, online uh, already, so I've had a chance to look at your profile and whatnot, and I've seen uh, I've seen Darren's movies. I uh, I finally watched the Second Age of Aquarius uh, this afternoon. Oh, good. I'm glad. You know, Bill, I've listened to your podcast. You always seem excited. So I guess it's exciting. You're always at a level 10. Now you're at a level 11, I think. <laughs> well, I, I do my best. Uh, a lot of coffee has a lot to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I'm drinking it right now. Highly caffeinated is the way to go. That is correct, especially <laughs> when you're on East Coast time trying to do a West Coast show. Because you're in uh, Connecticut, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's 10 o'clock here, and uh, it's almost past my bedtime, but this is uh, well Maybe worth Maybe that's it. what well I should have called the, the show, almost past my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> well, darn it, I knew I'd forget to do something. I forgot to turn the phones off. Hold on a second while I do that. Well, uh so you know uh, the um, the show is intended to be kind of a, uh, a roundtable type of discussion, and uh, you'll get the opportunity, of course, to talk about your own stuff and uh, the projects you want uh, people to uh, to know about. But uh, um, but primarily, it's just an opportunity for people of vastly different backgrounds and uh, and avocations to uh, to discuss whatever happens to pop onto the screen. Um, had some interesting uh, some interesting conversations this way, but uh, um, you know it's just a conversation between friends over coffee or a beer, depending on the time of day you happen to be watching the show. And uh, I'm not one to judge, so if you want to have a beer at ten o'clock in the morning, well, beer was originally a breakfast drink anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I think we got to bring that back. That'd be I good. I think so. I think so. That would. Uh, Yes, and uh, and we should reintroduce children's drinks beer. Um, you know that was one of the reasons why the uh, the Mayflower stopped in uh, in New England was because they were out of beer, including the children's <laughs> beer. So they didn't have anything; they were dry. Oh, man, they were trying to make it all the way to Milwaukee, and they just couldn't make it, huh? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. But uh, um, but yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how uh, how interesting a conversation of uh, uh, pilgrim her uh, history would be, but uh... <laughs> well, children's beer commercials featuring Captain Crunch, I think, would be kind of interesting to talk about. Yeah, yeah, Captain Crunchitize me. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> of beer, has anybody been to? William Shakespeare's house in Stratford upon Avon. I have not. It, it, okay, well, I mean, if you, it's it's beautiful, but it's like 
I don't know. It's like sliding from one end of a ship to the other. Everything's all bowed and bizarrely. Then when I found out all the people drank, the workmen drank was beer and not because they didn't have clean water, right. right? It makes sense as to why nothing fit correctly and was straight. Well, the ancient Egyptians uh, were apparently always high, uh, so uh, uh, because of uh, you know because they used a lot of different drugs for painkiller, and uh, and so the uh, the workmen on the uh, on the pyramids would have been uh, would have been stoned out of their minds, <laughs> and they seem to handle it pretty well. For all we so overjoyed and and self fulfilled in their thousand years of building the <laughs> their will. But hey, they got drugs. That's cool. Yeah. No, you can't beat that. And uh yeah. Um the Egyptians also had help from the aliens. So. That's right, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And the uh oh shoot, now I can't remember what the uh what the what the stuff in the glass vial was called. And I rewatched there we go. <laughs> Maybe they had that. <laughs> that in my movie Repo the Genetic Opera, where people are taking Zydrate for all, all no, all no, all things, any cure that they want. <laughs> the snake oil of twenty fifty six. That's right. <laughs> well, we'll get there soon yeah, enough. Okay. Good. <laughs> So, Steve, uh, what is your book? Uh, let's see if I can remember all the, uh, the 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 really how to beat Stalin, Hitler, and the South. Wait a minute, the Southern State Highway. Did I get it right? Yeah, uh, yeah, Southern State Southern Parkway. State Parkway. Uh, that was very good. Yeah. Um, title, by the way, Steve. That that just cracked me up. Yeah, you know that's we we gave that title as a way you know to catch catch somebody's eye, you know, and be like, what the heck's this all about? You know, what does uh, two evil dictators have to do with a, a parkway on Long Island, New York? You know, what the heck's going on there? And uh, hopefully, it'll get you to read the uh, the back cover, and, <laughs> and hopefully, uh, you know, pick it up. Um, but you know, the whole book's about overcoming adversity. And uh, and how to uh, deal with problems, you know, and, and our problems are all going to be different. You know, for me personally, it was uh, trying to overcome uh, the, the passing of my father. He was killed on a wreck on the Southern State Parkway, you know, uh, but for others, it could be dealing with uh, a divorce, losing a job, alcoholism, drug problem, you know. Or it could be like my uh, Ukrainian grandmother, my babcha. You know, it's a Ukrainian word for for grandma. Uh, she had some different problems than me. She had the historic ones. She had to beat Stalin and Hitler. You know, she she was a victim first of uh, as a young girl of uh, Stalin's Holodomor, which was the Ukrainian genocide. And then uh, later, she lived through uh, the Great Terror, which was another horrific purge. And then uh, when they got back on their feet, her family, they were uh, caught up in World War II. You know, Hitler invades the Soviet Union in uh, Stalin in uh, Hitler's uh, Operation Barbarossa, where he invades the Soviet Union. And it's the largest land battle in the history of the world. 
and she's uh, captured. Her family's murdered, and she's made a slave for the rest of the war. And the book details how she overcame that adversity. Uh, then it gets into, you know, and her story inspired me to overcome the death of uh, both my father and eventually also my mother and how to have a great life or, or at least a good life and, and be a decent person, you know, and not let your your problems overwhelm you. Um, you know, and it's, I wrote it during the COVID, uh, you know, catastrophe that we just went through when I saw a lot of people losing hope. Uh, a lot of people starting to turn on each other, you know, especially when it comes to politics, right? Everybody's uh, all of a sudden became a genius when it came to uh, politics and economics. And and we're just people who loved each other for decades. We're now at each other's throats. And uh, you know, it was a way to try to give people hope uh, for a better tomorrow and remind us, you know, hey, you know, we're all in this together. And uh, most of us have a lot more in common than, than, we, uh, than we don't. And, uh, you know, the message ultimately is love and trying to spread that um, and trying to make a dent in, in some of the, the, the nonsense, you know, problems that we all have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, it, it uh, kind of puts things into perspective when, uh, when you're uh, in a country that seems to be constantly be battled. By, uh, by forces uh, that uh, don't really want it to exist and apparently still don't. So. We're talking about Ukraine and not the United States, right? At this, yeah, at this point, that's what we're talking about, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm just being facetious, but um, Steve, that's a really powerful story about your grandmother, especially. Did she tell you all this, you know, while you were growing up? Did she tell you all her stories? Um, I got it secondhand through my mom. Uh, my father uh, and my bopsha actually died in the same car wreck um, when I was about five. Wow. And my mom started telling me these stories when I was a middle schooler, you know, and I was looking into the abyss. I was you know, suicidal. I was, you know, being bullied. I had no hope. I was flunking out of school. I mean, my life was a mess. And she says, hey, you know what? There's, you're not the only person this family's ever had some trouble. I go, well, who are you talking about? She's like, well, let me tell you about your Bob Shaiba. And I go, what's so great about her? And my mom was like, she's basically a superhero. And I only knew her as a nice lady who made apple strudel. You know, as a five-year-old chubby kid, you, you only remember people by what pastry they bring to the house. You know, that was like my thing. Hey, what the hell did she do? You know, and then she starts getting into the story. And she'd tell me a little bit more every night. You know, we both had insomnia. We'd always be up like now, you know, at the late at night uh, chatting. So this is kind of reminiscent of my chats with my mom. And, uh, you know, she laid out the story. And my goodness, that gave me hope. Hey, if she could do it, you know, my problems were real, sure. But if she could beat Stalin and Hitler, you know, I can get off my butt and, and get back in the fight and try to figure out something uh, myself, you know. And that's what the whole thing's about, trying to give people hope. Yeah. But then also, you know, the other part of the book and is giving you a plan. You know, how do you overcome? Because you get this this motivational story. Yeah, great. You know, that, what do you do now? What, what, give me a, a map, a roadmap. You know, how, how do I get over that hump? How do, I, how do I get back in the fight? What do I do with my life now that's that it. I have it back? Yeah. 
writing? Did you feel like I get that out a lot of stuff and communicate that story to other people? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, you broke up a little there, but uh, I think, you know, uh, we, we trying, like, you know, it was, it was kind of gut wrenching writing the book, you know, yeah. and trying to relive all that stuff, and, you know, and there's a whole lot of detail and trials and tribulations. I'm just giving you the, you know, the, the, the five minute version here, but it's, uh, you know, yeah, it, it was tough getting that, that story done on paper. Was, uh, you had to take a lot of breaks. <laughs> and go, go go get some beer with the pilgrims from time to time to try to uh, calm yourself. <laughs> Got to do whatever it takes to uh, to get through it, though. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is always a good story to hear about anybody done done real, done with this with this pandemic is actually made something out of it. You know, obviously good from many standpoints but you know you're not health wise you know there's numbers that doing that they they wouldn't have time to think about or they wouldn't have thought about all this stuff about working from home um been one i live in l.a the traffic is a lot better than it used to be. So, you know, please say a few positive things about the pandemic. Well, the silver lining, so to say, sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, a whole bunch of things have, uh, have changed uh, because of the pandemic for me. Um, I've started do taking the show uh, more seriously. And, uh, um, you know, uh, doing more, uh, doing more guests. I've actually had a couple sponsored shows uh, now, so uh, so I can call myself an actual professional podcaster. And uh, <laughs> yeah. congratulations, well done. Yeah, but uh, um, trying to figure out why uh, why Darren keeps breaking up there on uh, when he's talking. It's not whoop. Can you hear me better now, guys? Yeah, I, I hear you just fine. It, it every now and again it uh, it kind of breaks up a little bit, like uh, like there's a um, like there's an issue with the uh, with the connection. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Need a new phone. <laughs> don't you, you have to buy <laughs> the phone? <laughs> I know. Well, come on, man. I I got it like five months ago, so. I could lord over everybody that I had the new Apple thir uh, 13, but of course I'm like, that's only gonna last a few months where I can gloat because the 14 will be here and I'll have people like you tell me I need a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, you can't. Uh, Enjoy the victory. You, you can't keep the uh, you can't keep the old uh, the old uh, rotary dial phone forever. <laughs> But you can write songs with those old beep things. Remember those songs, things where it was like beep, 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 oh, beep. Yeah. And the and yeah, they even had like song books and you know, you could write. <laughs> <laughs> we were 
That just shows you there was too much time on our hands even back then. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm actually writing a screenplay right oh, now. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, and it it you know the the second age of Aquarius and my latest movie is about a 19 it's kind of a time travel thing with a 1960s dead rock star coming back to life now but this one that i'm writing now these people go back to the 1980s and these are young folks who, i don't know if you've ever seen these people like they dress like even today dress like flock of seagulls and they're into everything 80s. And they thought everything was so rad back then until they actually find themselves back in the 80s. And I know as somebody who lived through it, it wasn't all that great. I mean, you had to actually think. Like, there was no, like, when you're, there was no, like, phone to look at. You actually have to think, you know, have your own thoughts. And for these kids who go back in time in my movie, in my script, rather, they are just terrified. Like, every time they have to think and not have their phones it's just like, you know, it's, it, it's this horrible hell of existentialism that they're in. For sure. <laughs> well, good yeah. God, find somewhere on, a, on an old paper map and uh, fold that out and try to drive the car while looking at the map. The old Thomas guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've yeah. still got one of those in the bottom of a drawer somewhere. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, of course, they, you guys. I, I don't know, Steve. You're you're from New York, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I lived in New York during the '80s, and that wasn't a good. It just there was fun things then, but just in general, New York and all urban areas were just horrible, much worse than they are now. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I grew up. I was born in the Bronx, and we left. Know, in the 70s because the Bronx was on fire you know so that that wasn't great it was on fire yeah about 60 60 70 percent of it burned to the ground wow you know? <laughs> it was just a combination of things and and Manhattan you know that was uh, before Giuliani kind of turned it into Disneyland right? right and cleaned it all up uh, urine in the subways and homeless people and crime and you know it was it was a uh, dark times I remember Bernie Getz on the subway with the shooting and the whole thing it was uh, just some dark times. oh yeah yeah uh yeah I love the movie uh, Escape from New York and uh, I think that was what people were expecting New York to become oh yeah Or like the Warriors. Yeah, the Warriors. Remember the Warriors? Like, warriors come out and play. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, yeah. I mean, it is like people complain about now, but I have to say, this in the in the time of life that I've lived on this planet, this is actually the best time to be alive. Except for rents and mortgages. Yeah, yeah. Out of the equation, this is a good time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I had a, uh, a rental specialist on the show last week for uh, for a quick interview, one of the sponsored shows. And uh, um, 
and we've talked about rents and mortgages in LA and it's just it's crazy how it's gotten to be um, median uh, one median rent for one bedroom in Orange County is more than two grand right now it's crazy out here and uh, it's even yeah. more expensive when you get into LA and and I, you know, I, you know, we can do a lot of our work remotely. Mm -hmm. um, just about everywhere. But the price, is, I think, because people can work remotely, you know, practice in mind, they're off the wall too. Maybe not as much as New York or LA, Cisco, but they're pretty damn close. Oh, you broke up pretty badly. <laughs> That's because I'm so broken up about this rent issue. No. Can you now? Sorry, I don't know what's going on. That's okay. I guess it's that shitty old Apple three that I've got. Yeah. iPhone. <laughs> uh, but uh, and like everything is getting expensive. Yeah. Just anywhere these days. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's, I can't believe how glad we are that uh, the gasoline has dropped back under six bucks a gallon. Yeah. <laughs> what the deal of a century? My God, it's like 505 and you're like kissing the ground saying, oh, it's so cheap. But of course, I guess, Steve, you're out in the East Coast. It's way cheap here, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we were over five for a little bit. Now we're down to almost about four. Uh, yeah. But we well, got a deal. But we got uh, murdered also with the real estate. Yeah. You know, we uh, we uh, owned a home for a long time. And then we started renting around 2019, just trying to take a step back. And we, we were loving it. It was a great deal, you know. And, and then the pandemic hit, and they raised the rent about 50%. 50%? Jeez. Wow. And, uh, you know, kind of looking at the guy like, you know, you're profiting off the death of hundreds of thousands of people here. And, you know, it's kind of extortion. Um, but then we were like, heck with this. And we went to buy a house. And, you know, homes that were in our price range, you know, we'd overbid. Uh, the house wasn't worth what it was listed. And we would overbid in that. And we'd still lose that by 100 grand. Wow. Um, that's crazy. You know, and, uh, you know, we were fortunate. Thank God we got a, we got a great place now. But we were found in that. There was a lot of folks from the city, New York City. We live in about an hour north of the city. Folks were just fleeing the city. You know, they were they were well off, and they were just out overbidding. You know, they were just making up preposterous bids just to to get out. It just drove the price. Then there were also some um, hedge funds and other private equities that were just buying up, uh, you know, middle class housing just to as a new investment tool. Uh, pricing yeah. regular folks out of the market completely. And the absurdity of the whole situation is, while it's true that we should be providing more housing, no argument there, but the the population has not increased in line in, in the same way that the price for housing has increased. Yeah. Here in California, if, if you bought a home in the 70s, uh, that home should be worth about median price would be two hundred and sixty-seven thousand. Now, the price in California is 
somewhere around $750,000. And, and the population of California has tripled during that time. Uh, so we have more vacant places than we have. We have more people rather than we have homeless people. So right. that tell you that you know we're not going to build our way out of this. We got to have some sort of you know government so that we don't things being bought by you know by companies, Airbnbs or, or what because it's just the only thing. You definitely hit on something there. It's a uh, word people don't want to even realize that to the root of all this problem is monopoly. Yeah. Is that, you know, the monopoly is the opposite of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Capitalism's great, it's competition, and you make your own business and your own choices. But the end game of capitalism is monopoly. Yeah. And uh, that's where you have uh, or cartel behavior. You just have a few people controlling everything. And then every time you try to challenge them, they call you a commie, you're a communist, you hate America. <laughs> and now it's, I, I love America, I love capitalism. It's what you're doing is it's cartel behavior. It's the exact opposite of what we want America to be, where we're free and independent. And, you know, but it kind of, people don't understand that, you know, and they, they kind of get fooled by a, some propaganda about the whole situation. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you can't have capitalism or free markets without some sort of laws and regulations. It's like you can't play football without rules. Right. It's just lawlessness. That doesn't create, doesn't create a bunch of little entrepreneurs. It just creates oligarchy and, and monopoly, like you're saying. Yeah, and uh, um, you know we have to make sure that the laws are set up in such a way that everyone has the equal opportunity to succeed. Yeah, you know, and the way a lot of things are set up, I mean, we we definitely uh, see what we definitely saw what happens when uh, when one of the oligarchs uh, is given the reins um, of power, and we saw a lot of uh, a lot more power going to the wealthy. And uh, yeah. um, you know, and and opportunities being squashed uh, for those who are not so wealthy, just because you know it's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna take up all the opportunities for ourselves, and we need to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that the uh, that that the other party uh, would do any better, but uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we definitely need to uh, need to make sure that the opportunity is equal between uh, between people. I I agree, and I mean, right, new parties gonna but one party in this one person, the other party is not. So the Democratic Party is pretty free and not a. But they're with curve of what society changes. Um, it seems to me the Republicans, in terms of the social war, they lose every time. And then they change the goalposts. So it's like, okay, not against gay marriage now, but it's transsexuals, you know? So they're always going to find something that they're going to say, I don't want to change. Right. And then they do, and they lose. 
because they they got to live in the 20th century too. But this idea of kicking and screaming towards any amount of progress or equity, I think is a real threat. You know, and uh, you know that's some great points you made there. I agree, and uh, a lot of the politics are here, the cultural wars. You know, I'm not saying a lot of these cultural issues aren't important, but they become a distraction, and to distract you from the economic issues. You know, when they say it's uh, liberal media, well, corporate media, and we'll get some channels taking a concern. Nobody's ever taking, uh, you know, that's where they all unite and say, well, it uh, goes back to the Reagan revolution, you know, supply-side economics and trickle-down. That was kind of put on 70s where the, million, where the billionaires just revolted. And they yeah. said, uh, we're not going to pay taxes anymore in the corporate. You know, it's Milton Freeman where they said uh, shareholder value is primary. And anything else don't care about then you get in you're a filmmaker you must remember wall street and gordon gecko and all that right you know oh yeah sport <laughs> yeah i love how yeah. you know, people sport and camp yeah it's like if you start saying something like hey, you want a quality of opportunity not a quality of outcome but just opportunity you're labeled as a communist like you know go back to wherever you came from that's not a to problems. You know, things are just going to get worse. And unfortunately, I've uh, read, you guys have read any scientific by Octavia Butler. Um, wonderful writing about looking at this Trump, a Trump type character 20 years ago when she wrote one of her books. She was basically saying, the worse off that things get, the more people will get more conservative, regardless of whether conservatives were in power, because hate just makes more hate, anger just makes more anger, and it takes a real, a whole lot of bad stuff going on for an actual revolution to occur. But in the meantime, as things get more conservative, they just get more and more hateful, and that's now you know, kindergartners with guns in the schools if we don't want to actually deal with that problem. It's Trump, Trump's a very interesting phenomenon. Like, you know, supply-side economics, you know, it's Reagan, my interesting point about Reagan was his favorite president was Calvin Coolidge. Out of all presidents to pick, Reagan loved Coolidge. <laughs> and Coolidge, Coolidge was famous for doing nothing, you know? Yeah. Business of America's business, and, uh, you know, best government governs least, you know? And he had a, a prosperous four years, uh, or more, longer than that. He took over reporting after he passed. But he handed off to uh, Herbert Hoover, and 15 minutes later, it's Great Depression. You know, so... I'm a historian, and so what led, you know, supply-side economics of the 20s led to the great capitalism dying. Yeah. And then what did Reagan do? He said, well, we got to dismantle the New Deal, which, you know, was the answer to 
try to revive America and you know, a whole lot more detail there. But, you know, the 80s was dismantling the New Deal. And then you got Clinton and he dismantled it even more. Yeah. He did NAFTA and he opened up China. And I always was laughing. I was in high school and I could never figure out how, if we've sent all the jobs to China, how that would make our country better. You know, and if we sent all the jobs to Mexico, how that would make uh, workers, you know, and so all the jobs went abroad and people knew they were getting screwed. They knew uh, the Democrats and Republicans were screwing them. And then you get to, and then a, a capitalism died again in 08. It was, we were dead again. You know, the Great Depression Part Two. And that leads you to Obama, right? And these open change, and everybody thought Obama's going Obama just did more. He bailed out the banks. You know, I, I got crushed. Me and my family were crushed by what happened in 08. And we got no help. There was no new, new deal. And then people who got frustrated with that, and then they turned to Trump. Yeah. And it's very telling. You'll get people who voted for Obama twice. Then they voted for Bernie in the primary. And when he fell, then they voted for Trump. And that that tells you people know. Now, of course, Trump's a whole thing. That's, you know, is, is, yeah, they ask, is he a man or a con man? <laughs> you know, so even though he might say, I'm here to save America and save the working class people. But, uh, you know, is he a man or a con man? Is it, you know? And then when he got into office, tax cuts, it was more supply-side economics. You know, Americans are still looking for Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal, right? We haven't got it. But we have a lot of hatred and division. We got a lot of people blaming each other. And I'm a teacher. I went out to a bar the other night, people screaming, teachers are indoctrinating. They're making everybody gay and, and critical race theory. <laughs> I go, no, we're not. Like, when I first heard critical race theory, I'm like, oh, my God, am I teaching? I never heard that word before. Yeah. I'm like, what's that? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out I had to look it up, and I'm like, oh, oh no, no, I'm not teaching that, you know? I'm teaching that oh, slavery was bad. Yeah, I teach that. Yeah. And, you know, Dr. King was, was great, you know, and he did some <laughs> great stuff. Those are, those but are I'm the not, easy ones to call. <laughs> you know? Just the other, you know, the history. I'm teaching you the facts. Okay, this happened, and then now you can interpret that however you wish. But just the, the amount of misinformation uh, and disinformation, you know, misinformation. Okay, you get a fact wrong. Okay, that happened, and then you apologize for that. You have a retraction. But disinformation is where you're just lying, where you're just making stuff up on purpose for your own personal gain. The difference you double down. Good, Jeremy? Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. And you, know, you double down with the disinformation, think somebody will buy it. But I, I, I do think you hit the nail on the head about, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but about people using these um, culture words wokeness and all this other stuff just to make the 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 economic inequality and and all the problems with supply side economics uh, just being obfuscated by these stupid you know 
fights over who's who's who can have wokeness the most. And I get hit as a teacher. I get hit from every every angle. You know, I'm obviously a, 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 a white man, a straight white man with a family. And I had, uh, you know, I've always been leaning center left. I would say I'm a, I'm a New Deal liberal, like I believe in workers' rights. It's not poison the water and crazy things like that. But, you know, also open to conservative ideas and change my mind and let's, let's hear every side of, of an issue. And uh, one kid accused me of uh, racism. Oh my God, what did I say? What a... So no, you didn't say anything. It's just that you're a straight white man. So therefore you're racist. Yeah. So so when you get that, you're, you're like, oh my God, where, where do I go? Where's my home? Yeah. You know? uh, and it's just, you know, by the color of my skin and my gender, um, people are uh, racist. You can't do this. You're, you're terrible. What can I do? calling them a, you know, 
this is what Hitler and both Stalin did. This is the other part of the book. Is when you start, I used to like to use the word vermin back then. Because once I make my opponent vermin or insect or a rat or something, that's okay to exterminate, right? You don't think twice if there's a out any anybody, even the most kindest person, you know, you oh we got ants, get the exterminator. Um so when you anytime you hear somebody starting to call their opponents inhuman and vermin, that's where the warning's gotta go up and extreme left and extreme right do it. Well, it's the victim of both. In that sense, it's kind of a form of racism because a lot of racism has to do with dehumanizing the other, whatever that may yes. be. And uh, and while uh, while politics doesn't change uh, the the color of your skin, it uh, um, definitely seems to change the color of your uh, of your personality. And yeah. Uh, um, yeah, dehumanizing uh, your opponent, whomever they may be, is uh, is gives you permission to to exterminate them, like you said. It's crazy. Yeah, that's and um, you know, bring things back uh, around to uh, composure. Well, we completely yeah. lost your sound there for a second, Darren. Yeah, well. I mean, and, and it, it's always a great thing with creativity. How can you, you know, how can you tell good stories, but bring in political concerns? Or, and I don't just mean like politics, like the Senate or the House, but I mean cultural changes. How, how do you comment on things in an art form without getting preachy and sounding like you're on some soapbox on Hyde Park or something? Um, I think that's that's to me is like a sweet spot between having characters that you like and a plot that you can really get into and kind of an as a side, you made a world that that can kind of comment about the real world. Mm -hmm. And it's funny you touched on that because in Repo the Genetic Opera, my my film, um, we had this thing where we, we were lambasting plastic surgery and that so that the idea was that people could buy their organs their body organs on credit and, you know and, and they'd have designer hearts and designer livers but they could also change their race at will they could change anything that was superficial to them but of course then it goes to a question i mean you know can you really change who you basically are and uh, as with the the main character of Paul Servino playing this evil guy with with the evil rich guy with three really stupid children. Also appreciate Trump, but anyway, but have him play that. You get the, the you know the, you really get through. And I'm hoping in a in a entertaining way. Yeah. Uh, this idea of like. What does it mean to be a an individual? What does it mean to be a person when, you know, so much of those things can change already and will change so much in the next fifty years? Um, so, and in my movie, the Second Age of Aquarius, which is out right now, um, the the dead rock star from the '60s comes back to our present day, and so you do all sorts of comments about you know, what it was like back then versus now. 
And he asked a specific question to the girl in 2022. He's like, I need some enlightenment. What do people do for enlightenment these days? And her answer is like, I, I don't know. Um, I guess we just go out and work hard and shop. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of true. You, you read so much about the 60s, people search for enlightenment. I think there's that many people these days who are kind of searching in that way. Maybe, but I think people are much more materialistic than they were back then. But, uh, you know, that's a great point you made. Uh, and that was Bush's uh, solution for 9-11, go out and shop. Yeah. Don't let the terrorists uh, win, buy something. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, when you think about our the, the solution for World War II was we're going to tax you at 90%. And we're and you're gonna vol and you're gonna get drafted into the army and we're all in this together and you know and the country was really united as one you know where the answer to our problems right now is be do you be you do do your own thing and and also believe what you whatever the hell you want to believe you know and that was another thing that came out of the '60s where you could kind of were now free to believe whatever you wanted. And you had your own set of facts, and you know, and people just started capitalizing on that. And you know, that's fine if you're doing your own existential meditation and you want to be a Buddhist or this or that. But then it got into the politics, and now you can kind of believe whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And, you know, but we've always had that strain in us. You know, it goes back to bringing up the Pilgrims and everything like that, like uh, with Massachusetts. You know. They had their belief that uh, predestination, that God already picked who's going to heaven and hell. You didn't know, and what you did didn't matter. So, so there you go. So that's a very strange religious belief that your actions will matter. And, and that was, and you had to buy that. Somebody obviously made that up, and you had to buy that. Otherwise, you couldn't kick that. And Hutchinson, you know, woman, she started preaching, which was a no-no. But then she said, no, I, I know I have a magical power. I know who's going to heaven and hell that she somehow could divine. And so she got booted out of the colony because of her made up belief that she believed, you know, so it's, so it was one belief versus another, just based on no fact or evidence. And, you know, that's kind of always, and that's when you see that right now, right? Yeah. It's, it's my opinion. Well, what's that based on? You know, and it's just, well, I, that's how I feel. Great, is that real? Is that healthy? Is that positive? You know, and then you see it on a lot of a lot of different things on right and left. You know, people just want to believe what they want. And but where's the facts? You know, who the hell was it? Tip O'Neill, I believe. I might be wrong. Said uh, you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Um, and I, I think it would be healthy to get back to that. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, uh, no, that's, uh, that's good stuff. Um, yeah, people weren't, especially when it comes to politics, uh, seem to be unconcerned with the actual facts, getting to the, uh, to the facts. They, they confuse their truth with facts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, you know the uh, the the whole idea of 
you know, of these uh, of these investigations. You got the the search of Mar-a-Lago uh, that went on, and then you've got uh, Giuliani showing up in court. Um, you know, when whatever or not in court, but in in front of the grand jury uh, for whatever it is he told them. If we ever find out the truth of that, that'll be interesting. If he find if he goes on a on a talk show and uh, and reveals the truth about what happened in the uh, <laughs> in the grand jury because that's uh, because that's supposed to be a secret uh, meeting and uh, and so basically he's the only one who can tell what happened <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the in the the room but uh, but it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say about it and. Uh, um, and then uh, what's his name? The CF, Trump CFO uh, pleading guilty. Um, yeah, we're back to uh, what go what's going on inside of people as opposed to what's going on outside of people. You know, uh, the whole uh, the whole well, back to repo the whole Amber Sweet situation. You know, it's like she can change her name, she can change her face, but her character remains the same throughout the movie. And uh, yeah. um, you know, so. Uh, uh, Yes, like are are we that? Are we trying to change the appearance of our character as opposed to changing what's actually going on inside? I agree. And and are we are we for something or against something just based based on what the other side's for and against? Right. I mean, other thing like we take these extreme positions. It's like. Republicans say no, so we got to say yes, or vice versa. I mean, that makes absolutely zero sense. Yeah, yeah, and there's definitely been uh, been times. I'm trying to remember what the one was recently, but um, there have been plenty of times where one side of the aisle says no, no, we're not going to have that because it was your idea. But if you look <laughs> yeah. back, it was actually their idea before. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like no. The inhuman opponent, the uh, the dehumanized other, is uh, is now responsible for it. So we can't have it. Right. That's what mm -hmm. Romney care. That's why it's called Obamacare and not Romney care. Yeah. Because he Romney disowned it. Right. And it's just you know, and you and it's just shows that so many people are in pain right now. Uh, they're they're really hurting. They know instinctively that the system doesn't work for them. And, and that's why Trump attracted so many followers. You know, he had a commercial right before the election where he, and he correctly said, you know, Democrats, you know, politicians don't care about you. The system's rigged, which he's correct. And he goes, and I'm here to fight for you and I'm here to fix it. You know, and of course that, that's the question mark, you know, was yeah. he actually there to help you? Could he? Did he actually know how to help you, or, or was he, you know, this, this shady cat? You know, he he was a uh, lost lawsuits right before he was elected for running a fake school yeah. and running a fake charity. Yeah. And then nobody, everybody overlooked that, and he won the, and became president. Uh, forget about the other stuff, you know. But that just tells you how much pain people were in. Yeah. They finally had a champion. Who was saying all the right things? Who was saying who? And they would say, "Yes, you're right, Trump. The Democrats and Republicans don't care about me." He's right. Um, they weren't, you know. The Democrats, you know, when supply side economics was happening, 
and the poor workers and the poor factory guys and the farmers was, hey, Democrats, help me. They would just look at him and say, well, you should have went to MIT and been an engineer. Yeah. What, what the hell did you become a farmer for? That's stupid. I said, but you're supposed to help me. You're supposed to fight for me. And they're like, well, why don't you go to college? You know, we and we all kind of, uh, the you know, de-emphasize manual work and being a worker and, and building stuff. You know, that become, oh, you want to become a grease monkey? What the hell's wrong with you? You got to go. You know, and, and so, but that was the old Democrat base. They kicked them out and they said, well, we got to take money from Silicon Valley. You know, why don't you start an internet company? You know, high school, ex factory worker with a high school diploma. Why don't you start your own tech? I don't know what I'm talking about. That's not, not everybody can do that. Uh, and there was no party really representing this whole class of middle class and lower middle class workers. And Trump, was very exciting. Let's give this guy a shot. And then, you know, you got to make up your mind for yourself. Was he, was he that guy or was he, you know, not what he said he was going to be? And that's always the million dollar question, you know, and, and you, you put facts in front of people, do they want to believe it? Or do they just want to see their version of it? You know, um, because it's a compelling. So here's this billionaire. He came down from his golden tower to rescue you. He gave up this billionaire, you know, that's a hell of a story. But is that the real story? Then you've got confirmation bias to fight against with uh, with all that, because people want to believe what they want to believe. And even if you come up with the facts that oppose that belief, you have to overcome this, this bias that people have naturally that allows them, allows us to ignore things that are in opposition to our core beliefs. You know, if I if I believe A and you come up and say B, well, I'm going to ignore B because B doesn't agree with A in whatever portions it doesn't agree with A and uh, and say no, A is right even though B is is completely right. I'm going to believe this just because my brain is wired that way. And more facts you give a person, you know, I mean, to, to me, I mean, anybody, I suppose, but the more facts you give them, the more people want to dig in in the opposite side and say, you know, those facts are just biased. You know, right. I believe that. I don't believe 98% of climate scientists saying such and such. You know, I, I, I think I know a little bit more because I've studied on the internet during the pandemic. <laughs> you know, I think also, you know, talking about where Trump was successful in, in courting all the disaffected people, I think he hit all the buttons right, as Steve said. But I think the problem is People are using complaining with actually having solutions. I mean, honestly, anybody could, could read some papers and know what the problem with politics today are. Anybody can talk about what the problems of the economic in the city are. We don't know it. But just by saying and reciting all that, like Trump did, that's not a solution. 
you have to have a solution. And so just say, somebody say, oh, well, this guy's talking my truth. This guy talks like me. This guy's got this. Well, that's fine, except you don't have a solution. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't help. Whining about problems does not solve them. And, um, you know, I say it, we get the politicians that we deserve. You know, we don't uh, care well, about politics yeah. and we want to give money say that political speech is equal to money money is equal to free speech as the supreme court has made then it just goes to show you you have more money you have more free speech you got less money you got less free speech but the bottom line you got to be as a as a senator congressman every single day you got to be raising money for your elect next election so of course you're not going to care about what regular people think. You're going to care about what your donors. Think. Well, the, that's true right. at any uh, at any level of uh, of government. Those who are the most well funded and the most organized are the ones who get uh, their problems solved. Mm -hmm. You know, if uh, if I get a bunch of people together to uh, um, you know to get rid of the pothole that's in the middle of my street, and we have money and we have people together. And I go to the city council and say, look at my people, look at my money, fix my pothole. They're going to fix my pothole. But if I'm a single mother with a disabled child who can't get a proper IEP so that they can get educated, at least some form of education, however, uh, however good or bad uh, the, the local education system may be, I have an uphill battle against it even though what i need is right and uh, yeah. yeah it's it's terrible well it's, and uh, nature of the thing yeah and what you see is what people want if you put up a bill and say 98% of the population wants it but 2% don't mm -hmm. guess who's going to win that fight 2%'s got yeah. the money yeah uh, in the midst of an oligarchy and, and you know that's why people had such a negative reaction to hillary you know when she was up and why she lost is because people said well you were in washington when a lot of this supply side economics was being built yeah. and and bill clinton signed the financial services modernization act which led to the two big to fail banks right. that killed us all if clinton's hand, you know bush was bush jr was the worst president ever let's just get that off the table he was and and who voted for these wars? Well, uh, Clinton and voted for it. Biden voted for it. Joe Biden's fingerprints are all over this. Yeah. You know, so if you're a disaffected worker, Joe Biden fingerprints all over crime bill, uh, Patriot Act. That's Biden, and, and a lot of stuff. So when people look at Biden and Clinton, they say, "What the hell are you talking about? How is it? It's just more of the same." And they're right. Yeah. And. and you know, but then you then you look at Trump and you're like, oh my, how is the, how are these the choices of all the 300 million people we got in this country? You know, these are the choices, well, and, and it's disheartening. Well, people like the same. I mean, that's why we have so many sequels and movies. People aren't looking for the second age of Aquarius; they're looking for Repo the Genetic Opera Part Two. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. So they, we say we want change, but change is scary. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and I also think, you know, what Steve said a while ago, 
is absolutely right on point about the Democratic Party, you know, under Truman and Roosevelt was pretty much the party of the workers, the, the have-not versus the haves. And then once it became the party of highly educated people, then it became snobby. You know, it's like, yeah, well, they, these parents are not happy if their kids become firemen. They want them to go get an MBA from Harvard. Um, but I, I think, at least among my, my son's 22 and his friends, I think things are starting to change. Um, a lot, some of them are becoming firemen. They decided, you know, they, they went to college or some of them don't, but they don't see anything wrong with making a choice like working in a supermarket or something like that versus having some dumbass uh, Wall Street job. I, I think things are at least hopefully we'll get that snobbiness out of the liberal politics and out of the Democratic Party. Because otherwise, there's no way they can prevail. Yeah. I mean, really what we need is, is people who care more about people than about, uh, than about ideology. Yeah. You know, we, need, uh, we, need those, uh, we need those politicians back who, uh, who went out and, and actually you know, did more than just shake a couple hands or, or now I guess it would be fist bumps, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, uh, that actually, uh, that actually researched and, and found out what the people really needed. Um, you know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt comes to mind and, uh, and, you know, the creation of, uh, of the USDA and, uh, um, you know, the clean foods act and all that kind of stuff that actually helped people on the street and uh in spite of the fact that he was one, he was one of the wealthy few um i like teddy roosevelt uh, i mean not too many uh, not too many guys would keep uh would keep on talking uh after getting shot <laughs> the great bull moose yeah and then he finished that speech with we stand at the gates of armageddon and we battle for the lord yep. that's uh, my favorite ending to his speech but, you know, like you talk about like standing and fighting for what people want. I remember the Democratic primary and, you know, it's uh, Liz Warren and Buttigieg and Biden are on the stage and somebody asked him a question. They said, would you support uh, funding for uh, transgender surgery for uh, incarcerated people? And it's just, how is that a question? And of course, they all raised their hand. But this is a this is a question and issue that that relates to how what percentage of the population, uh, you know, and it's like they were they're talking about that and arguing. Of course, that's just fodder for for conservatives to go after. And you want money for transgender prisoners to who, who's does that make my life better? Does that make any? You know, it's just these. It's again, it's a cultural war issue yeah. that I can't really wrap my head. And believe me, I'm, I'm all for rights and you know civil rights and the whole thing. And I don't want to. Have anybody be hurt right? but it's just such a, a tiny cultural war issue that i can't even get my head around and now we have to argue about this and it's like well i have to have a position on that like how is how is that i'm trying to feed my kids right. you know i'm trying to take care of my i'm trying to do my job and and you just get some of these issues that you can't even wrap your head around um and oh oh by the way uh china's grown big and strong 
And while we're arguing and, and tearing each other to pieces, they haven't been in a war in a, about 100 years. And they're building the Silk Road 2 initiative where they're just all roads are literally leading to China now. And they're, they're just taking over Africa. Uh, and the Chinese workers don't want to work anymore. They want to be like us, right? They want to be the white company. And so they're building all the factories in Africa. And then all the, the supply chains are going to flow. We're not even talking about this. You know, meanwhile, I'm trying to drive down the street and the potholes and falling in the pothole. You know, and, and finally they passed an infrastructure bill. But while we're killing each other and worrying about what was taken out of Mar-a-Lago and, and this transgender and, and this stuff, and I'm not saying that that stuff's not important. What, what is the rest of the world doing? Yeah. You know, and if we're not united, if we don't remember, hey, okay to disagree, but we, we all want to have a good family. We all want to have equal opportunity. We all want to, you know, do these things. You know, we're, when we fall asleep on China, we're, we're going to pay a very dear price. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, uh, for sure. And, you know, let's, let's, uh, I, I know Maslow uh, isn't exactly in favor anymore, but uh, we, we do need to have kind of some kind of hierarchy of needs here. And, uh, you know, that like feeding children should be really high on that hierarchy. You know, uh, the, the basic essentials, you know, should be pretty high on there. You know, it's like, feeding kids, uh, or food security in general, uh, roof over your head, um, you know, clothes on your back, those kinds of things. And things like, you know, things like, uh, like whether an incarcerated uh, criminal um, should be able to get their transgender surgery done while in prison should be pretty low on that one. You know, and 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 uh, and you're right. I mean, it's like, hey, if somebody feels this way and wants to do that, then that it's their life. They should have the ability to do that. But uh, it's really not that important to me because there are children who don't get breakfast in the morning down the street right. in in what is you know one of the I, I guess we can't exactly say the wealthiest nation in the world anymore, but certainly one of them. Um, you know, and uh, yeah. and if you go out in L.A., uh, it doesn't take long, you know, driving around in L.A. before you find a tent city, and uh, yes. and it's like this is this is the United States of America, and we have tent cities, right. and that's being generous in what I and what I call them, um, you know, because they're not all tents, but uh, um, you know we have them here in uh, here in the O.C. as well, um, but uh, but yeah. Um, it's just crazy what uh, what in the in what time is spent on what uh, what we spend our time on, and uh, and yeah, do we do we go after the needs of the three percent or do we go after the needs of the ninety percent? Um, do we make right. sure that uh, do we make sure that the minorities get access? And I mean minority in any sense of the word, whether yes. that's a, whether that's a uh, um, a, uh, a a skin color issue or uh, or a practice of life issue or or what have you, and uh, and what uh, what does that say about us? Uh, I agree. 
And, uh, you know, one thing that I, I try to do and focus on and part of my book and part of my speech is uh, my mother. Mm -hmm. I write extensively about her in the book. And I use that as like a fulcrum where what, what can we all relate to, right? Mm -hmm. Great mom. You know, and I have friends who read it and people, you know, they say my mom was an Italian woman, Italian-American. But she gets claimed by every race and ethnic group and religion, you know, Jewish people. Like, oh, is she Jewish? Oh, is she Dominican? Is she this? And that just shows you people that serve as liberal, they all claim my mom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because that kind of transcends everything. And the love of a child, me. And then after she passes, and the love of the community that, that supported me and kept me from crawling into a bottle or crawling into a crack house, right? And they, nobody stopped and said, oh, uh, are you liberal? Are you a libtard? Oh, you're, uh, you watch, you know. They said, here's a person who needs help. Let's go. And, you know, and it was beautiful. And we can do that all day, every day. And, you know, it doesn't make you a communist. It doesn't make you this. It doesn't make you a You know, and it just talks about, it's about love. Mm -hmm. And too much in the last 40, 50 years, we've had communities that have broken apart. People don't feel that love anymore. You know, if the factory closed down, town's dead. Yeah. Now, where do you go? You got to flee somewhere. You know, where I live, I live in a, a wealthy area. We actually had to move. Because one time we lived, it was just like too cutthroat. It wasn't a community. It, it was like a, like a Thunderdome. Where, <laughs> oh, you're, you're not a millionaire? Oh, no. Oh, I can't talk to you. And then, oh, you're you're a millionaire. You're not a deca millionaire. Oh, you're you know we got to go hang with the sentiment. It was just completely preposterous, you know. And it's not a community. It's it. They became a corporation, you know. And it was about instead of just saying, "Hey, great," you know, uh, you're my neighbor. You got kids. We have the same values. Let's try to raise our kids together, and let's try to have a, a nice life together. It was constant competition constantly trying to one-up, and that's just not a healthy way to live. No, I mean, there's nothing wrong with healthy competition. I mean, back to, we're back to capitalism and, uh, and economics, and, and uh, again, um, you know, but, uh, um, but yeah, when that becomes the central focus, and it takes away from helping your neighbor, I mean, where does that, uh, where does that put you? I mean, that's definitely not, uh, not Friedman, not Adam Smith, not uh, not any of the uh, the economic greats who uh, who might have supported the idea of capitalism or did support the idea of capitalism. But uh, um, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, what uh, what do we do? How do we? How do we, I mean? I know my uh, my solution, my day job. Uh, I'm a leadership development coach, in addition to other things. Um, <laughs> I, I can't focus on one thing at a time, but uh, um, I teach uh, ethical leadership and uh, where the main concern is, uh, is where the main focus is to be concerned with the needs of all the stakeholders, whether they're, you know, your employees or followers, your shareholders, the community in general, um, what have you. And it, it, it can be, uh, it can be difficult to, uh, to do. Um, because there's so many people to think about, but uh, um, 
And of course, sometimes people want to prioritize and say, well, these people's needs are more important than those people's needs. But uh, um, but you have to uh, you have to take them all into account. Well, you know, you had uh, Jack Welch, who was the opposite of everything you just said. <laughs> GM and <laughs> Jack. And we're going to fire the bottom 20% uh, no matter what. Well, they, they still were good employees. Well, they're bottom 20% throughout. Nope. And that, that's just, you know, and it's just about the bottom line. And GM stopped making things, and they just started making up things with the financialization. And, you know, and that became the hallmark. And, every, and he was revered. And, you know, most people would say he's uh, one of the greatest businessmen of all time. Um. But it depends on your model of what what is great, right? And uh, you know, in one sense, yes, the profits went up. In another sense, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, that that kind of was the road to where we are now, yeah. where people don't trust, uh, they don't trust the government, they don't trust businesses, they don't trust pol politicians, and and uh, you know, we were reaping what we sowed. Yeah, for sure. Um, and now we're all going to end up in 2056 and living in the United Office. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, let's see. Let's see if I can remember the full name of the book. How to Defeat Hitler, Stalin, and the South. Wait a minute. Oh, why can I never get the Parkway right? Oh, I got Parkway right. Say the name of the book again. Okay. It's how to beat Stalin, Hitler, and the Southern State Parkway. Southern State Parkway. Stalin, Hitler, Southern State Parkway. <laughs> we don't have parkways out here. We have freeways. Yeah. Absolutely. And then if, whether you're on a parkway or freeway, it's somehow uh, jammed with traffic 24-7. Yes, yes. We, have, uh, we have parking lots. And yeah. I can guarantee you on the 405 here, we're fighting Hitler and Stalin every day. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's the truth. Yep. But uh, <laughs> and then of course we've got uh, Repo the Genetic Opera and the Second Age of Aquarius for uh, for Darren. Want to make sure to promote uh, what you guys are doing. And yeah, uh, thanks. Well, uh, Steve uh, Steve's also a uh, a motivational coach. So uh, you can find him. Where can they find? Uh, where can they find you, Steve? Uh, I'm on uh, YouTube. I got a YouTube channel. I got some TikTok going now, which is very uh, exciting. And uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram. You can all the usual spots. All the usual spots. Yep. And then, uh, and then, Darren, where can they find you? You can find me on uh, DarrenGordonSmith.com on my website. Um, you can find information, and I hope you do, about the second age of Aquarius. Um, it's the second age of Aquarius.com. And that film is available on most major streaming networks. So you know, want to check it out on, on Amazon or a bunch of other things, I, I, I would... Uh, encourage everybody to to watch it and i actually did a soundtrack of 1960s music for the film 
And it, if you go to secondageofaquarius.com, you can find information about how to get the soundtrack. Cool. Yeah, great, uh, great music in uh, in both in both movies. By the way, thank you. Um, yeah, it's funny. This show actually started out as a uh, as a, a musical interview show. Um, I'd uh, I'd interview musicians and uh, and they play a little music and uh, and we just have a lot of fun and then it kind of grew from there. So uh, so it's good to have a musician back. Good. <laughs> But uh, um, I'm, I'm musical too. I sing solo. Solo, nobody can hear me. See, I sing. Uh, I sing tenor. Tenor, twelve miles so. away. <laughs> That's where I sound good. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, my uh, my father used to say that he could play uh, play the radio or the record player <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> yeah, where the uh, where the grooves out, but uh... <laughs> and I'll end the bad jokes with I, I've got a great face for radio. Okay, cool. <laughs> not anymore. Now it's a good face for for podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody's on the radio. Goodness gracious! What else can we talk about? This has been uh, this has been interesting. This is uh, definitely uh, the most uh, economics and politics I think I've talked on the show for a while. But uh, um, yeah, let's see. We have been going. The other for a thing while. Uh, that that I've been doing with my life, you guys, oh, yeah. is uh. You know, I'm a teacher and a coach as well. Right. And, you know, uh, it was sports that, that really saved my life growing up. Because after, uh, my, you know, mom told me the story about my Bopcha and her mm-hmm. amazing life. You know, well, how the hell do I do anything? You know, how do I make something myself? And my mom got me to go out for the football team. Okay. And, you know, I didn't know how to play football. I was the worst kid on the team. But the, the the coaches and the other players uh, became a family, and the motto of the team was "Brothers Forever." And it wasn't just something fun you put on a T-shirt, you know. And uh, they meant it, you know. And the first time I, I got to practice, we had to run the warm-up lap, maybe about half mile. But as a fat kid, you know, I was winning the Boston Marathon, and I'm dry heaving and choking, and Twinkies are falling out of my pocket. And the captain of the team comes and grabs me and pulls me across the line. And comes up to me, don't quit. We're going to get through this together. And it was just one of the first times where somebody really, besides my mom, gave a damn. Wow. And the coaches, I thought they were going to cut me. They called me into the office. I'm like, okay, you're going to cut me. Like, no, you're on the team. We don't cut anybody. Uh, they say, keep trying. We're going to get through this, and, and it's going to turn around. And those men, you know, saved my life. And also had got help in the classroom. My mom got me a special ed teacher, uh, Mrs. Dudick, and she taught me how to learn. And that's the other big part of the book is you need people like this in your community to help turn lives around. And, you know, by the end of high school, you know, I got a scholarship to play football. You know, I did well in school. 
you know, turn my life around thanks to the community. Thanks to people giving a damn when they didn't have to. Um, and that's my answer to what we need here. There's not more politics, not more Fox News versus CNN and all this stuff. It, and some of those people who helped me, they might have been Republican, they might have been, who the hell knew and who cared back then, right? You know, uh, they were just good people. Um, and that's what really hurt me now was some of the friends and family and helpers are, uh, back then, fast forward to 2020 in the pandemic, they're killing each other on social media. And I'm like, you guys are heroes. You all have the same values. Why are you fighting each other? Or fighting with me? And I'm like, you know, we all used to love each other. And, uh, you know, that's the other part of the book. The other side is my sister, uh, who, when she went out for sports, she got cut. You know, they were cut teams. And she didn't get that football family experience or the sports family experience. She got on the drugs and alcohol and never got uh, her life together. And she wound up drinking herself to death by the time she was 35. And the point of that is, you know, is we got to get kids into the right stuff uh, where they can thrive. You know, it doesn't have to be a sport. You know, not everybody's built for football. My daughter, she's on uh, the theater and watch same thing but you know and you, you do movies you know and, and music the same thing you have people diverse talents and skills coming together to create something beautiful something they couldn't do on their own like this show we're doing right now we have three people different making something great you know we're creating a, a you know short-lived but very nice little community here you know why not do that all the time you know, there were robotics teams, you know. And then we also have to worry about us. Like, uh, I guess we're all roughly the same age, right? 40s. Guys in our demographic are at risk, at high risk of suicide. Uh, because, you know, even if we had a good experience in school, well, what do we do as men? And you have problems. Like, suck it up, buttercup. You got problems, you know. Help, I have a beer. I have a joint, you know. Where do we go? It's not everybody feels that community. You know, you kind of feel isolated and alone. And you know, I had a friend, a beautiful man, just killed himself a couple months ago because he he didn't see any value anymore. He was just paying bills. You know, he didn't feel like he had a life. And you know, that that's kind of what I also I'm trying to do is try to find ways to plug people in to make them feel valued, make them feel part of something special, whether it's a kid. Or an adult, you know, and, and just trying to give them hope for a better tomorrow, and, and let them know that they're loved. Of our so much of our uh, collective focus um, seems to be on uh, on keeping up with the Joneses, and I think that's what creates a lot of the bill paying problem is that uh, is that we le- live at the edge or even beyond our means. And, uh, you know, it's like, and so you got to work, uh, you know, the 12 hour shift to, uh, to keep the money coming in enough money to come in to, uh, to have that Mercedes and, and the million dollar house. And, uh, um, you know, just, uh, just to be able to keep, uh, keep up appearances. 
<laughs> Didn't mean that to stop the conversation. Great. <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, we all wanna. I mean, we all wanna be. Uh, we all wanna be more than what we are, and uh, um, you know, we just gotta decide where that's going to lead us. Whether that's going to lead us to the uh, to the millionaires club, the Deca Millionaire Club, or or however many uh, dollar signs there are, um, however many zeros there are on the check, or whether that leads us to being better people, being part of that community of uh, of others, and uh, um, you know where we help each other, uh, you know bring you know get reach out a hand instead of bringing up the rope, reaching out a hand to help people up. what's uh what's important what's uh what's gonna what's gonna make us remembered again i think you know that's just a we want to be you know we're kind of like herd animals we're pack animals right want to be a part of the group and you can wind up in different parts now you could start joining some of these extremist groups mm -hmm. like some of these folks who turn into school shooters yeah. or some other uh you know, because they don't feel like they belong, or they join some of these extremists, they, that gives them that sense of belonging. You know, and so you can, you know, run a, a theater group, or, you know, coach a, a sports team, or, you know, whatever the activity is, or you could go and do something violent, right? right? You know, you could be uh, Mother Teresa or Osama bin Laden, we're both kind of looking for a sense of purpose. Right. They just kind of want direction what's the uh what's your purpose i like that well we're about to an hour and a half and uh and i think this conversation has been uh has been quite exhausting uh <laughs> <laughs> um in a good way but uh so i will ask uh, if you find gentlemen have anything else to say to the nice people I just, uh, I'm just encourage everybody to watch the second age of Aquarius since that's my newest movie that's out. Yes. Um, but I, I do think I, I feel heartened by this conversation. I, I do like the idea of teams and, and people reaching out and not, not bringing people together through hate or hate of other people or tribalism, but, you know, really trying to bring all of us up. And so, you know, I really do appreciate the time that we've spent together talking about that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity to chat. You guys are uh, fantastic. I hope we can uh, stay in touch. And I hope, uh, Darren, you can produce my, uh, turn my book into a movie. Would that be <laughs> a, you could do? That'd be a I fun. Mean, I'm definitely going to read it, so I'll check <laughs> it out. We'll get the screen. Uh, that it's available on on Amazon or yeah. Okay. yeah, Amazon, Google, uh, Steve Boris B O R Y S or Stalin, Hitler, and the Southern State Parkway, and you could be reading it on Kindle within moments. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Okay, now there is one last question I ask of all of my uh, all of my guests, and uh, so I want you to consider a hot dog in a bun. Is it a sandwich? 
Steve, you want to go first? Or? Um, hot dog in a bun is uh, delicious. And whether or not it's a sandwich, uh, who cares? We're, we're too busy eating. We'll put that on the back burner that, along with whether or not uh, transgendered prisoners should have sex change operations. As a 300-pound <laughs> bald guy, I'm, I'm not worrying about those details. We're just eating the hot dog. Yeah. We'll we'll discuss sex and hot dogs on another time. <laughs> There's an idea for a movie. Sex and hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you both for uh for being on the show. I uh I thank appreciate you. your time. And uh now I'm gonna run the closing credits and uh so you can all go away now. Okay. Good night. Good night. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. I'd like to uh, tell you this has been a presentation of Bald Spot Productions. I'd like to thank my producer, my dear mother, Eileen Hatch. I, of course, am your humble host. And I'd like to thank uh, my special guests, Darren Gordon-Smith and Steve Boris. Um, they were great. Um, support the show if you feel so led over on Patreon. Uh, that's Bald Spots Pro. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, don't miss YWL Online. Uh, we have new shows on Tuesdays and Saturdays. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and wherever fine podcasts are served. Tune in next time for my guests. Uh, oh my God, I went too, uh, went too fast and I missed the name. Okay, there, we're back to YWL Online. Dorothy Husson and Dr. George and Vanessa Nam. So we're going to get a threefer. Please be sure to like, comment, share, follow, whatever you got to do to stay informed uh, on whatever platform you happen to be uh, participating in the show with. And uh, um, that's about it. So thanks again, everybody. And uh, have yourself a wonderful whenever. Bye.